after Jesus ascended back to heaven, Peter preaches the first sermon of the early church. He tells the story of Jesus and the salvation that he offers. In Acts 2.37, it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, What shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Something similar happened at the end of the second sermon, and his answer in Acts 3.19 was, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Are you starting to see a pattern? Our response to the salvation that Jesus offers us should be repentance and baptism. Repentance seems like a really churchy word, but it literally means to turn around. There's a story in Luke 15 about a son who decided he'd be better off without a relationship with his father, taking his inheritance early and doing his own thing, blowing his money on foolishness. He finds himself broke, sleeping in a pig pen when he decides he's going to head home to see if he can work for his father as a hired hand. You would think that he'd be greeted by a pointed finger and a brutal punishment, but instead, his father runs to him and celebrates the fact that his son has returned home. He says, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. This is a perfect image of what it's like when we turn from our life of sin towards a life of obedience to God. God isn't waiting to punish you. He's waiting to celebrate that you're coming home to Him. He's ready to celebrate because He loves us and cares about us deeply. Repentance isn't only something that you do when you first receive salvation, but as we grow in our walk with Christ, we find ourselves continuing to repent as He reveals to us areas of sin in our lives. But Jesus, because he took our punishment on the cross, buying our forgiveness, repenting for us isn't so much about asking God for forgiveness. It's about accepting the forgiveness offered by Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. In summary, repentance is turning from sin and turning towards God. But we see throughout Scripture that once we've repented of a life of sin, there's a first step of obedience to Christ, and that is water baptism. The idea of ceremonial bathing was not uncommon in Jesus' time. People would wash to cleanse themselves before entering the temple, but Jesus came with a different baptism. This wasn't a washing that happened every time you were going into the temple. This kind of baptism happened once, symbolizing a permanent state of cleansing that came by faith in Christ. Baptism is our public demonstration that we've died to our old life of sin and have come alive as a new creation in Christ, in a person who lives for Christ. When we go under the water, we're identifying with Christ's death and burial as we lay down our old self. And coming out of the water, we identify with His resurrection and victory over sin and death. It also demonstrates that we've received Christ's death as a payment for our sin and failure. It's an act that symbolizes powerful spiritual truths. When we accept salvation and put our faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross, God purifies us and we're free from the past and we can walk out and enjoy our new relationship with Him. But it's not only a physical demonstration, there's also something supernatural that happens in the baptism waters. God meets you there and changes your heart in a transformational way. Just like in Jesus' baptism when God says, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, our baptism is a confirmation of our new identity as a child of God. When we repent, we turn from sin towards God. 
And when we're baptized, we're demonstrating that the old life has been washed away and a new life has emerged. Well, that is one good looking guy. Oh, <laughs> uh, gosh. His wife thinks so. That's all that matters. And his mom. Okay. Um, so tonight, uh, here, here's a couple of things I want to say uh, about the Purple Book. Uh, one is, it's, it's, it's not something that, it's just a, a checklist. I did it so, you know, I did my duty as a Christian or as someone who comes to Bethel. <clears throat> Jeffrey, back there, he's on my men's leadership team. And every Monday night, we, we do the Purple Book because we're doing just everything that, that, that we're doing what we've asked everybody to do. We're one chapter ahead because we're overachievers. But uh, Jeffrey, the other night, this, this, is, uh, this is what the first, so next chapter, by the way, is uh, sp- spiritual hunger in God's word. We never even got past the title to get into the other lessons. It was it, that word, spiritual hunger, hit us. So, how many? We talked for an hour and a half because it's not a checklist. It's something that should, as I go through it, what do you call it, Jeffrey? It's the conviction, the book of conviction, the purple book of conviction. I mean, it should, again, change us internally as we learn more about who God and Christ and tonight the Holy Spirit is. It should change us. It should change, it should change our mind. It should change, uh, as Scripture says, it should transform us from the inside out, right? Not that we do things better, but we become more like Christ, right? So don't, tr- please don't, we say treat it as a devotional, but treat it as something that's going to teach you something that you actually need. Because how many know we all need Scripture? We all need, guess what we all need? What everybody's searching for and we have is the truth. We have the truth because he's a person, and that's Christ, right? So uh, the Holy Spirit, I have a couple ground rules uh, about the Holy Spirit because uh, it can get, people can get just weirded out. Can we just be bluntly honest? People just get weirded out about the Holy Spirit, okay? It's very misunderstood, so what, what I'm going to do tonight as I go through this overview is hopefully give you a, not just spiritual, but a practical way to look at the Holy Spirit so that it's not weird to you because it's not weird. I have a no weird policy, by the way, no weirdness whatsoever. So, uh, so I want hopefully tonight that you'll have that practical uh, thought process. Here's a few reasons why it's important to have a general understanding if you're taking notes, this is a general, not in depth, a general understanding of the Holy Spirit. One, the Holy Spirit is the point at which the Trinity becomes personal to us because we generally think of the Father as where? In heaven. We think of Christ as a historical figure, right? He was in history, but we know that the Holy Spirit is within us presently. Okay, it's very important that we understand that. Uh, Secondly, the work of the Holy Spirit is more prominent today. Again, Father in the Old Testament, 
Christ in the New Testament from the Gospels to his ascension, and now it's the Holy Spirit's turn. Okay? Thirdly, uh, our culture really does stress uh, experiential things. We want to experience things. Well, it's primarily through the Holy Spirit that we actually feel God's presence. So he, it's very ex- experiential, okay? Not only, but it is, okay? Uh, like I said, the Holy Spirit's ministry can be misunderstood, but guess what? So was Christ. We, take, we don't look at that way, but Christ was so misunderstood in his time. So this is nothing new to the Trinity. <laughs> Being misunderstood is nothing new. So that's why, again, it's, it's all the... Uh, People just, with a lack of understanding, they just, if you don't understand something, you're more liable to be critical of it. Human nature does that, okay? But it's the, but it's the Holy Spirit's job to remind us of truth because it reminds us of what Christ said, which it does that by revealing what the Father and the Son, what their will and way is now. Just as Christ did when he was on this earth, that's what the Holy Spirit does now. Can you see a... A, uh, it's very fluid, the trinity of what they do. Even though they have different functions, they're, they're, they're one together doing that function, just as we should be one in the church, right? So let's start here on the first page. If you're looking at it, Matthew, oh, I'm in, sorry, I'm in spiritual hunger. See, I've already skipped ahead, sorry. Jeffrey got me all messed up on that. So Matthew 3, uh, 11 says this, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John 14, 26 says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said. So the Holy Spirit's going to remind us of what Christ said. Peter, uh, Acts 2, 8, Peter said this, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of the Father, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the first question here is, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? John 14, 16 through 18 says this, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Another is an interesting word here because it means another of the same kind. So Christ is sending them someone like him, but it's spirit form. To help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth, the world, can, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, verse 18. I will come to you. Now, right before this, Christ had just given them uh, a few unnerving predictions before he said this. One is, Jesus reminded his disciples of his impending death. He told them, I'm about to die. He also warned them about a traitor in their midst. He also told Peter that you are going to, what, deny me So three things, really, that he told them right before he said this. But he also told them a few things to strengthen them, and he offered some promises. He said that he will return having made preparations for them. Knowing him, knowing Christ, he said, 
meant that they knew the way to salvation because he was their salvation. But he also promised to send them the Holy Spirit to permanently live with those who have faith in Christ. Now, the reason I read verse 18 is because it talks about orphans. Uh, and I'll explain that here in just a second. But in the ancient world, and why he did that, in the ancient world, orphan was not what we think about today. Orphans meant that uh, you were fatherless, which was a big deal. Family structure was a huge deal. You were fatherless, you didn't have any money, you lived on the streets, and you were completely dependent upon people's charity. 100%. And he, when Jesus, so when Jesus promised them that he, would never, he wouldn't lead them as orphans, that meant something to them because they understood the word picture because they see orphans on the streets all the time. So they understood that, oh, you're, even though you're, he just predicted, predicted he was going to die, but then he said, I'm going to never leave you. Why? Because I'm going to send you somebody. He said the father would, uh, he would, so Christ came in human form. He said the father's going to send his spirit. What's the spirit going to do? Here's the things it's going to do. It's going to be with us forever. He will be a counselor. It will teach us. It will remind us of Jesus' words to live with us and in us, to convict us of sin, to show us God's righteousness, to announce God's judgment, to guide us to and into the truth, and to give us insight on future events. John 13, 16, 13 says, to, to, tells the truth the Holy Spirit guides us, tells us that the truth the Holy Spirit guides us is the truth about Christ, who he was, and the words that he said. So the Holy Spirit is not going to come and instill a new, a new word. He's not going to instill a new truth. I know there's a, some teachers out there that say that the Spirit has talked to them, told them things that are contrary to Scripture, but because they said it's the, the Spirit that told them, it must be the truth. Well, we know that the Holy Spirit is not going to instill a new truth. Why? Because Jesus is the truth, personified. Let's look at Romans 8, 14 through 17. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit, who received you, the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Now think about the word again. So they lived in fear as slaves. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies that our spirit, with our spirit, that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If we indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, Paul uses adoption to, uh, to, to kind of illuminate the believer's new relationship with God. When you, in the Roman culture, the person who got adopted lost all of his, the old family lost all their rights, and, the new, and he gained what the new family had. So, it's the same as today. Now, I have two adoptive kids, uh, and I can tell you this, that... Uh, a little sidebar here. When, when we adopted our girls, the state of Tennessee uh, took their birth certificate 
and ripped it up and gave them a new one with my name on it, as if they were never a child of their biological parents. Now think about that. So when you come into the, when you come into the faith, when you come to faith, when you accept Christ, it says that your father was who? The devil. We were born into sin. But when we come to Christ, guess what happens? You get a new birth certificate. And the signature is in his blood. The second thing that happens is, much to the chagrin of my older kids, when we sat down with the judge and he went over the things that, uh, all, all the things that we were agreeing to, one of the things that, he agreed, that we have to agree to is that I can never write my adopted kids out of my will. I can write my biological. They were upset about that. But I have, so I have five kids now, right? Five kids. My two adoptive girls get at least one-fifth of all I got. So guess what happens when you come into the family? I wish I had my Bible up here. Everything, every promise that's in that Bible, you get. Right? So you can't read a promise and go, that was not for me. You're actually saying, God, you're untrue what you said when you say that. Because when we come into the family, we get everything. Can't write us out. Okay? I love that analogy. It's one of my favorite on the planet because I live it every day, right? And here's another thing, by the way, just as another sidebar. When they tell you that you, uh, you love your adoptive kids just as your biological, that's absolutely 100% true. It's absolutely true. You can't even tell a difference. There's not an emotion that says they're different. There's not a feeling that goes, oh yeah, but you're my adopted kid and you're my boy, so we're gonna say. I mean, not in, not in my house. In fact, I'm, I think I'm sixth on the list at my house. I mean, if we gotta get rid of somebody, I'm, well, I'm first on that one. But anyway, so Galatians 4, let's get back into this. Galatians 4, 5 through 7 says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his sons into our hearts, a spirit who calls him Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. What do we get? We get everything in the scripture, which includes the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when you say that I don't believe that, again, what you're saying is, uh, that ain't for me. Well, you can reject the gift all day long, but it's, nonetheless, it's still a gift. Here's what you get when you get the Holy Spirit. He promises that he will be with us, that he will live in us, that he will lead us he will remind us of who we are and whose we are. And he will always encourage us with God's love. 
So when we get the Holy Spirit, we get all of that. How many need that every day? I need that, and I work at a church. So I can imagine not being around. I mean, again, it's a privilege to work someplace like this, right? Because we're surrounded with mostly saved people. I'll let you choose who's not saved on our staff. Anyway, it's terrible. Uh, but I can't imagine all the more needing it when you're not surrounded by it. And how much more I need something to be with me to help guide me in all things, right? That was who the Holy Spirit was. That was lesson one. Lesson two is the fruit of the Spirit. Notice it doesn't say fruits. It says fruit singular for a reason. Look here at John 15, one through eight. I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. Get cut either way. You're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. For No branch can bear fruit by itself. Very important. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in the vine. If you go back and listen to Dr. Delvin's sermon two months ago, I think. Very incredible sermon on the vine. And I would highly suggest to go listen to that. Verse 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So Christ is the vine. Now, the vine is not uh, something that grows spontaneously. It has to be planted into something, and we know it has to be planted into the dirt, into the earth. It is not a very pretty thing. How many have ever seen a vine and go, man, look at that beautiful vine? I mean, it's scaly, nasty. I mean, not nasty, but you know what I'm saying? It's barky. It's just, it's just not, it's not the fruit that's, it's not beautiful like the fruit. It's, a, it's also a spreading plant. Vines spread. Ever heard the scripture that you'll be witness to the utter, witnesses to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? Because Jesus will spread, the vine will spread. However, the root of the vine is unseen. And that's our life with him. That means that if we're not growing in him privately, there's, we, publicly there's no way that we're going to become what we need to become. Because it's really done in private. It's really on the honor system here. I trust, I know Philip, Pastor Philip really well. I, I've traveled with him to crazy places that he can speak the language and I can't, so I'm completely dependent upon him. He could be telling them that I'm some crazy guy. I mean, who knows? Get me in trouble. But I know his routine. And I know that he takes, he takes this seriously of reading scripture every day. Why? Because he is staying connected to something that he needs. He needs that to survive. He needs that to live. And, I don't, and I don't, I'm not just saying spiritually, it's also physically. I need it to physically live. Remain in Christ. Remain is actually a, uh, it's an action word. I have to remain. I have to do something. I have to take action. But how do we, 
How do we remain in the vine? First John says, and, and these are not going to be up, but First John says this, believe that he is God's son. John 1 says, receive him as your savior. First John says, do what God says. It also says, continue, say continue. So it's not just a one-time gig here. It's not an event. It's a continuation of believing the gospel. And how can you believe something if you're not reading it and understanding it? So we have to, it's like somebody says, you know, I believe in the Constitution. Have you ever, have you ever read it? Well, no. Well, how do, you know, how do you know that? No, so we read it, we get it in us so that we continue to believe the, the, the gospel. Then we relate. That way we can relate in love to the community of believers. That's according to John 15. So if you remain, if you remain attached to the vine, you receive nourishment. If you separate from the vine guess what? You can't receive nourishment and you'll wither up and die. What fruit do we bear? Remember, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. What fruit do we bear? Galatians 5, through 26 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceived, provoking, or envying each other. And we know that the greatest of these, according to 1 Corinthians 13, is love. And the reason is because God, you, you understand that God doesn't love you in a sense. God is love. He has nothing. He can't feel another thing for you. Now, he can hate sin. Scripture talks about him hating stuff all through it. But when it comes to you as a person, love. And why does he hate sin? Because it can keep you from a relationship with him, which he does not. He wants that relationship. He sent his son to die. Why did he send Christ to die on the cross? To restore a relationship. That's it. So lesson three, let's get to the spiritual gifts here. Man, we are making good time. So I'm gonna slow down. No, I'm just kidding. According to Paul, what are, the, what are the spiritual gifts that you can get? Romans 12, six through eight. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. And if it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Each one of you has minimum one of those gifts. Minimum. Most of us have more than one. So it's really important to know those and look and see, okay, God, how did you make me? How did you wire me? How did you knit me together in the wound and give me these gifts? That's something that, to figure out so that you can, so you can act on that. There's also leadership gifts. According to Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, there's five gifts of leadership within the church. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, 
the pastors and the teachers to get paid. Was that right? To do all the work. So y'all can come and just get fed and go home. Like we're a nice steak restaurant. No, it's to equip you, the people, the saints, to do the works of service so that the body, not, not so that the pastors or the staff, so that the complete body of believers may be built up. So you play actually a crucial role in whatever church, here at Bethel, but if you're watching online, whatever church you attend, you play a crucial role in that church. And we're not to sit back and just consume, right? Holy Spirit, Jesus never told us to be consumers. He always told us to be givers. But yet, all of us sitting in this room, here's the great thing. As talented, and I'm telling you, he's, he's very talented, as Pastor James is, as talented as Bishop Rice is, as talented as Philip is, no one has all the gifts, and so therefore we're all needed to express who God is completely. And even that probably we fail to express that he's that great. But yet it takes a collective to do that. According to First John, First uh, Corinthians twelve, what are the manifestations of the Holy Spirit? So we've we, we're starting to learn now who He is. Now, how do we know when he manifests himself? There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one of the manifestations of the spirit is given for the common good. To, to one, there is given the spirit a message of wisdom, so there's one, to another a message of knowledge, two, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing, there's another one, to another miraculous powers, to another, to a, another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, that's, uh, that's discernment, Somebody who can discern things. My wife definitely has this. I can't get by with anything in my house. She can discern stuff. But I know people that can, I, I know people that can sit and talk with somebody and walk away and tell you exactly what's going on in their life by, their, by, their, by the spirit that they portray. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these, all in Greek means all, okay? And in Hebrew and in everything. That's my only Greek word I really know. All means all, everything. All of these are the work of one and the same spirit. And he, dis he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So that's why, again, people want to make this a little weird. It's not weird at all. Because there is, there, the scripture is very clear that he manifests himself 
so that we can know him and we can see the work that he's doing. Okay? And finally, lesson four, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist promised that Jesus would baptize, he baptized in water, he said that Jesus would baptize them with the Holy Spirit and fire. I read that at the beginning. There's five different accounts in Scripture that they received the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 says, tongues of fire came upon them. Acts 8, it said, they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Acts 9, it says, they laid hands on them and immediately... Sometimes people, we start talking about prayer language. Some people get it immediately. Some people don't. Acts 10, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and they spoke in other tongues. And Acts 19, they received the Holy Spirit and spoke in other, tongue, in other tongues. Now, who does the Father want to give this gift to? His favorite, ch- his favorite child? Parents don't have favorite children just so you know, most of the time. (laughs) There are sometimes you pick a favorite, like, man, I'm telling you, I'll get rid of you in a minute. But God has no favorites. So all of these gifts are for all of us. According to Luke 11, 13, it says this, if you then, here's the proof, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. He's talking to fathers. How much more will your heavenly Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? Now, we're talking about gifts, and now he said give you the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's a gift to those who ask him. So to who? To all those. Nobody's left out. Nobody's left out of the party. Question is, have you received now the Holy Spirit? Have you done that? There is a Holy Spirit that we get when we come to Christ, but then there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit as well, okay? The, la- the last question, the lesson four, for have you received the, whole, the gift? I'm going to have, uh, as a, just kind of as an example, I'm going to have uh, Philip, Pastor Philip come up and give a, kind of his experience, because uh, one, it's great, uh, I know this story, and uh, as an example of what the Holy Spirit how it happens, and the effects of it over a lifetime. Because, again, it's not just a one-time thing here. Okay, it's an ongoing, the gift that keeps on giving. How many want that? Right? Pastor Philip, why don't you tell them about Minnesota? Thank you, Pastor JT. Let's give it up for Pastor JT. I always love talking about the Holy Spirit. You did real well, Holy Spirit, the counselor, another one like Jesus you know, the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and He is with us. He is the Counselor. He's the Spirit of Truth. He's the one called alongside to help. He convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. He guides us. He tells us the things that are going to happen in the future. He reminds us of what Jesus has said to us in the past. Many times reminding of a sermon, you remember. It's not that I have such a good, good memory. It's I've got the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Yeah, so Pastor JT was making reference. I, I did grow up, grow up in Minnesota, Minnesota, Minnesota Vikings. 
And I went to a church, you know, a, a traditional Lutheran church growing up in high school. And then when I came to the University of Minnesota, started going to a small group Bible study. And after I could see those guys living for Jesus, young people living for Jesus, it was really the Holy Spirit that was wooing me. It was the Holy Spirit that was drawing me. It was the Holy Spirit even that was convicting me of sin, that what I had been doing previously with my girlfriend, nobody else knew about, it was sin. Well, just leave that one, just hang, and you can kind of imagine. But then also of righteousness, the Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness, that there is righteousness in Christ Jesus, that he died on the cross. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts you of that. And it's the Holy Spirit that convicts you of impending judgment, that if you don't receive Jesus, you won't be with him throughout all eternity. And so during the fall of my freshman year, I asked Jesus to come into my life and I passed from death to life. Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit bore witness that I had been forgiven, that I had been born again, born of the Spirit. And then probably four or six months later, uh, the leader of the small group started doing these kind of same scriptures, Bible study with us and talking about the Holy Spirit. And I went to, back to my dorm room after the Bible study, and it was kind of like, it was really, it was Genesis all the way to Revelation. Because in Genesis, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters, and it was like the Holy Spirit was hovering over my dorm room bed. And then Revelation says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody comes in, if anybody hears my voice, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. I took you from Genesis to Revelation in 30 seconds. What do you think about that? <laughs> But I knew that, I knew I was a Christian. I knew how I had received Jesus. You know, not just a Christian because I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a Muslim, but a, you know, born again Bible believer. I, I knew I had forgiveness of sins, that Jesus was my Lord. But then when this leader of the Bible study started talking about the Holy Spirit, I went back and the Holy Spirit kind of hovering over, knocking on the door of my heart. And I knew I just had to receive. I like what you said that abiding, remaining is not, it's active. It's not passive. Passive is something that happens to us. Active is something we do. We receive. We accept. We allow him to come in. It's something we make a decision. And so as I'm on my bed, I, I, I allowed the Holy Spirit. I let him, I heard his voice. I let him come in. Now, what happened to me, and I can't project this onto everybody, this is my experience. You know, we walk by faith, and the Bible is our manual for doctrine, not my experience. I can't say that unless it happens to you like it happened to me, that it's, you know, I can't say that. But I did feel the Holy Spirit come in, and, and it was a baptism of filling, just a white like snow, just like a cleansing, just the, the divine comes in. You know, and, and sometimes there are things that are supernatural. Some people would say weird. I would say God is supernatural. He's other than us. Mm -hmm. And he came in, and I knew I'd just been cleansed. Power from on high. Jesus said, you receive power from on high, and I, I just received that. And you mentioned in the, well, the, the Bible study, the Bible itself mentions, you know, speaking in another language. You know, on the day of Pentecost, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in another language. In Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles at Cornelius' house started to speak. In, the, in Acts 19, in Ephesians, the Ephesus, they, they started to speak in this other language. 
And the Bible does mention that, that when we speak in tongues, we utter mysteries. And so I asked my older brother about it. I say, hey, what do you know about speaking in tongues? He said, oh, I do it every day. I'll pray for you right now. Let's pray right now. And I just, I just kind of said, you know, just back off, you know, just, just back off. But then I, I find myself, I think it was that same afternoon, just praying. And, you know, I, and this is, again, this is my experience. I can't project this onto everybody, you know, but I prayed, Lord, give me the gift of tongues in Jesus' name. And then the second time, give me the gift of tongues. And, Jesus. and there's nothing magical about, you know, I, I did it, I prayed three times. But on the third time, it's like my faith joined with God. That's the key. It's not repeating three times. It's, yeah. it's your faith, you know, joining with God. And maybe, and I'd like to pray. Can I pray for everybody here? Can I do that? Have a final prayer? Final, I got some. You got another final prayer, but I just want to pray. I'll let you pray after I get I want to pray for people just for an infilling. <clears throat> sure. You know, so if you're here, can you just stand up? We're, we're getting ready to close, but I would like us just to stand up. That'll help you, you know, just to kind of. Let me say this before he prays. You go ahead. I was talking to uh, one of the guys that I work with uh, in the past was a Navy SEAL guy, which I, lo I love military dudes, and I, I specifically love Navy SEAL guys. And he was telling me we were talking about war. And he said that one of the first things that they try to do when they go into another country, this is why they'll send somebody like SEAL teams because they're, you don't even know they're there, right? The enemy doesn't know they're there. Is that one of the first things that they try to do is remove communication lines for the enemy so they can't talk. Now, they, they can, there's, in military, there's specific language that everybody has because they, they, don't want, they don't want to speak their own language because then you know what it is. So there's, they have code words and they have, remember Morse code, right? That was so that people couldn't understand what, unless you knew Morse code. But they all have this kind of this language that they speak so that the enemy doesn't know what they're saying. That's what they try to take out. So as Philip prays, it's like, if you've not received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you've never spoken tongues, it's, again, I have a no weird policy. It's not weird. And it, it, if you're thinking that it's weird, it's the enemy trying to tell you you don't need it. Because why? That's a great communication tool with your God. And of course, the enemy's look, he does, he, he's not against it. He just wants to infiltrate it and make it weird. Or he wants to infiltrate your mind and go, you don't need that. Just remember that voice every time you hear that voice telling you something you don't need that the scripture says, do the opposite. Just do the opposite, right? That is a great communication tool that will build you up, help you in times, and actually build us as a collective up. So don't let the enemy take out that, that communication, that communication with, with God in heaven. Very good. Let's pray. We're yeah. going to pray just for a deeper filling. You know, maybe you've walked with the Lord for a week, a month, a year, 10 years, however long. We're not, at this point, we're not questioning your salvation, but we're just saying we can be being filled, a constant mm -hmm. filling. And then just the way you explained it too, the fruit of the Spirit, the character of God, the inside working, love, joy, peace, patience, kind, and then the, the gifts of the Spirit, the power of God that's here with us. So if you're here on site. If you're at home, I would encourage you to, to get rid of all distractions mm -hmm. just for a moment. And just even if you close your eyes, if you're driving, don't close your eyes. But if you're not driving, close your eyes. And, and, and let's just 
Let's just breathe in real deep and just say, God, fill me. Fill me once again. Fill me once again. Whoever asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. To him who knocks, the door is open. That's the promise. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So just ask, Lord, fill me. Fill me once again. Give me the gifts that you would want to give. And even as the Holy Spirit would come upon you, there might be some new words, some new syllables. Maybe you've never been able to flow in that before. We have to speak. We have to be active. The Lord gives us the utterance. Mm -hmm. Acts 2, 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke as the Spirit gave them the inspiration. So he's not going to force you to speak, but you have to pronounce it. Lord, we do thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Just by faith, say, thank you, Lord, for filling me. Thank you, Lord. If you're at home, just say, thank you, Lord, for filling me. Thank you, Lord, for more of you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And even under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if he gives you, it, 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 you your mind will not understand it, but the Bible says we speak mysteries and we, we edify ourselves. It's like charging your cell phone. You connect it. We're connected. And you, you charge yourself up. You're renewed spiritually as you would pray in tongues. God, we thank you even for the gifts of, of the Spirit. We thank you even for power from on high. God, I pray that there would be a releasing. God, even a new boldness, Lord, to speak in tongues. Even a new boldness. With, some would have interpretation. Some would have a word of knowledge. Someone have a, a word of wisdom. God, give them a supernatural word of wisdom for that difficult situation that they might be facing. Lord, I pray that they would have even a gift of faith to go through seemingly impossible obstacles and situations. God, a gift of faith. Lord, and even others would have a gift of discernment that they would be able to supernaturally discern if something is from God or something is from from the enemy, from demonic, satanic activity, God, I pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you're doing. Just begin to thank him. Just begin to even to speak out. It's by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's when your faith joins with God. When we ask, we believe that we have received it. The world would say, if I see it, I'll believe it. God would say, if you believe it first, you'll be able to see it. It's trusting in the promise of God. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Fill your people, O oh God, once again. Fill us up, O oh God, once again. Thank you, Lord Jesus. If you, uh, if you need prayer for anything, specifically this, this will be up front. We'll have some staff here that can pray with you. Uh, I hope that you learned something. I hope that you not only learn something for yourself, but you take it back and help somebody else. Okay? So thank you so much for coming tonight. You're dismissed. I have, can I? Go. Oh. Jesus. I wanted to cut you out. I have one announcement, an important announcement. Oh, go ahead. Saturday morning. Men's breakfast, 757. 757, men's breakfast. <laughs> I, I just wanted, to, I just wanted, that's an important announcement. So if you're a man, you want to join the men at yeah, 7.57. We're, we're going to have a great discussion Saturday morning. 
I like I like the men's breakfast because I can talk about things I can't really talk about on stage. So it's good. And if you're if All you're right. here, if you're a woman, send your husband to that. Isn't that good? <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Now we can be dismissed. Now we can go. Thanks, guys. Come down if you need any prayer. If you need prayer, come down.